0: guys. Um, I like the way that Art said it, that Kyle and Stephanie were supposed to go to Arizona to see uh, Kyle's mom, and Jack had other plans. So, they're home, but they're resting. So, much deserved. So... When Kyle asked me to preach today, um, he gave me the option of two different scriptures, two different themes that he had in mind, and the one that I chose before I get too much into it um, was about chaos, and I thought, hey, I am pretty knowledgeable about chaos. If you've ever heard any of my stories, um, I think I have some pretty good input on that. So it's a wonder our family can get through one day in one piece, but we're still standing. So um, I was really drawn to this subject for a few reasons. Um, the first reason is because, um, you know, in the past when I've preached, I, I always say, I, I, you will never hear me speak on any subject that does not speak to me on an intimate and personal uh, level because what like what's the point so another reason why I was drawn to this subject is because as a mother of three in her own walk with the Lord trying to navigate that because it's a daily thing trying to raise and disciple three kids of my own while the outside pressures of the world on a mother, a working mother of three, trying to raise her children to be like Jesus, it, it can get really hairy. It can get dark. It can get chaotic. It can get um, discouraging if we're not careful about you know where we're rooted. And so um, today we're going to talk about chaos and God, and how God can work with like literally nothing, and He can turn it into something beautiful and wonderful and useful for the kingdom. Um, And by the end of, you know, this next half hour or so, my prayer is that if anybody in this room is going through a chaotic or disordered or dark time, or for the rest of us in this room who in no time will experience the, you know, the disorder and the chaos and the dark time, that we fully know in the midst of all of that where God is and what he's doing. Um, so without further ado, I'd love to pray. Father, thank you so much for, um, the words that you have given me. You know that I have struggled and struggled and struggled over this message, and I think it's because you have something to say. And so, God, I thank you that you're going to hide me behind the shadow of your cross, that when people see me, they only see you. When they hear me, they only hear you, and that we would look more like you by the end of this day. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Genesis 1. It's very easy to find. Um, It's in the front of your Bible. And we're starting at the very, very, very beginning of Genesis. Why am I having such a hard time finding? In the beginning, oh, I'm also going to be reading from New Living Translation and the message. If you don't have the message, a lot of it will be on the screen, but this is NLT. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. These scriptures that we just read are probably the most famous words that were ever written down on paper. You go into the streets and you ask anybody, What is Genesis 1 about? And I would, I think I'm fair in saying that probably at least 50% of people would at least have some concept that it's about the creation these scriptures are also amongst some of the most polarizing scriptures, words that have ever been written down. Um, you know, it always kind of is a cause for debate. Was it divine creation? Was it the Big Bang? Was it divine creation through the Big Bang? Was it truly done in seven days? Like, how has God existed forever? Wasn't there like a beginning? And so on and so forth. And it basically is because of this scripture that we have the division between church and state. It's because of this scripture that many atheists will tell you that they just cannot get past this first scripture, the first scripture in the entire Bible. And this is why it's so hard for people to believe. And so I'm not here to debate all of that. What I will say is that these words were written for the person who already believes. There's this beautiful transformation that happens when somebody has an encounter with Jesus and they step over the line of faith into a relationship with God. Something happens where this book becomes their very life. And it doesn't stop us from digging deep into really understanding what these words mean. It, it, yes, they become true and they become sure and they're trustworthy, but it surely does not stop us from asking questions. And that's okay. But it does make all of the words in this book are very like sustenance for life. And so what you're going to have to understand is that when you are having a conversation with somebody who is not on the same page as you, Many times, if not every time, they are going to stay not on the same page with you. If you talk to somebody who has not stepped across the line of faith into a relationship with God, they're not going to line up with you. So arguments and debates are not going to really help this situation. Even the Word of God does not constantly, you'll notice, does not constantly throughout the Bible try to prove that God is real. The Bible doesn't constantly try to prove that creation was real. Only God revealing himself to the hearts of people in the nothing short of miracle way that he does has the power to change hearts and minds. So there's a little side note. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Um, This first week of Advent is about hope. It's This thing's ruining my life right now. You see it? It's like, this is just happening. Hold on, let me just, this is really happening. Okay. All right. Let's get out of this. (laughs) Talk amongst yourselves. I'm dying here. This whole message is about being a hot mess, so I hope you, this is good. Okay, so the first week of Advent, it's all about hope. Advent, it's a season of waiting, it's believing in the invisible before we're able to see the end result. It's a time of prophecy, it's the waiting period, it's the quiet. And for a lot of people, This is the hardest part of our walk with God, whether even, you know, for new Christians or for people who maybe are still on the fence about, you know, um, possibly beginning a relationship with the Lord. This can be the hardest part of the walk because inside of us, we have this feeling, um, this hope inside of us that God is who he says that he is, but we are in the waiting of seeing that come to light of making sense to us. And so this is what the unformed earth kind of felt like before God turned on the lights. Even with the creation of the heavens and the earth, there was still like a ton of work that needed to be done. It wasn't the earth that we know it as now. The commentaries that I've read have used the words watery chaos and vague and undifferentiated without form, confusion, emptiness. Those are just a couple of the words that have been used to describe this early earth. So it wasn't like nothing... It just was like a formless and empty something, but something that just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And that fact alone, the fact that we can't quite explain it, just reinforces the fact that it was just a big mess. And then that brought up the question for me, why in the world would God create something so messy? And then it made me think, okay, well, I ask this question like all the time. God, why am I the way that I am? Why have you created me this way? Why is it so hard to follow you? Why does my flesh never want to do what you have asked it to do? Paul had asked the same question in Romans 7. And this one I'm reading from the message just because it like is the emotional thing that I need right now. So it says, I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but I can't keep it, And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging all my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? Anybody? Me? Every day of my life? Okay. So the earth was a mess. We are a mess. We are hot, hot messes. And just a little side story. So um, speaking of hot mess. So besides like my main job, which is like almost full time, I have two like what the cool people like to call side hustles, you know? And um, one of my side hustles is that I own a sign shop in my house. And a couple weeks ago, I um, was, we, I woke up in the morning. I had so many projects to do. One of them was to create a t shirt for one of my friends. And so I, the, we woke up, I grabbed the baby, we run downstairs, and we get to work. And so I'm in the basement for probably four or five hours. And then, you know, I finish everything, get all my projects done. My friend comes over to pick up her shirt. She comes over, have a little chat, do our little exchange. And then she goes on her merry way, and then I go on my merry way. Well, afterwards, you know, I'm going through the house because my kids are born in a barn, and I'm turning off every single light in the house because, you know, and this past summer I bought the world's biggest windows, and my life savings is all gone because I wanted all the natural light that you could possibly want in a house. And so I'm going through the house. I'm turning off all the lights. I get into the bathroom, and before I turn off the light, just get a little glimpse in the mirror, and I nearly jumped out of my skin. Oh, my gosh. And it was me. But I probably hadn't showered in like three or four days. Listen, I have three kids, all right? I had makeup that was like crusted on my face. I was wearing like my husband's t-shirt. I was wearing sweatpants. And so I get on my phone and I text her and I said, literally just looked at the first, the mirror for the first time all morning. And I cannot believe I let you myself look like that. And I apologized, and she was very forgiving. But I hot mess, you guys. Hot, hot mess. She was very forgiving. So, I don't know. I told you that. So- Yeah, he can change it in the back. God and Regen. Thank you. There we go. Thanks, Holden. Okay. Our lives, there it is, without the constant presence of Jesus, is like the earth before there was light. It was chaos, it was confusion, and it was darkness. And we're a mess without him. We're a mess with him. Jeez. We have all the good intentions that we could ever want, but like Paul said, we're in this sin prison. And so the first thing that I want to communicate is that God is fully aware of our mess because he's the one who created us, right? And so he is the one who spoke us into existence. It's no surprise that in his word, it says, in this world, you're going to have a lot of trouble. He didn't create the trouble. He didn't create our problems, but it should not surprise us that in this life, we're going to experience a little bit of chaos. And it should also not surprise us to know that he is very, very much so there in the midst of all of that. Because listen, you know, this scripture that we just read in Genesis 1, it's a pretty intense waiting period. Who knows how long the Spirit of God was hovering over those waters? In my mind's eye, you know how the Bible was always talking about how creation, like, worships God and cre- even creation, the rocks and the mountains and everything rises up to, to worship God. And so in my head, I just had this image of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and the waters just rising up to, to be close to the Spirit. How long do you think that this went on for? And this is what the people felt for 400 years before Jesus made his appearance on the earth, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years of not being able to hear the voice of God. 400 years of spiritual darkness. And sure, there were prophecies that there was going to be this king coming, but nobody had any idea what to expect, when to expect it. Was he going to be a gracious king? Was he going to be the kind of king that took the world by force? Was he going to be you know a warrior was he going to wear armor was he going to be gracious or was he going to be merciless and conquer and nobody had any idea the waiting period is really hard the unknown is hard and a lot of us are going through periods of waiting right now and a lot of us are experiencing chaos in those periods of waiting right now And we're not totally sure how it's all going to end up. And lots of us might be wondering where God is in the midst of all of that. Well, let me tell you. So the scripture goes on to say, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Other translations say that it was a wind or a breath. We see that the Spirit of God was sweeping over, hovering over, even brooding over the waters. And the Hebrew for this moved, hovered, brooded is the word rakoth. And it's only used one other time in the Bible, which is in Deuteronomy 32.11. And here we read how the Lord delivered his people, the people of Jacob, um, in their greatest time of need. It says, he found him, Jacob, in a desert land, in a barren, howling wilderness. He surrounded him, he instructed him, he guarded him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers, rakavs, over its young, he spread his wings to catch them. He carried them on his pinions. The rest of the scripture says, the Lord alone led him and no foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him the produce of the field. He nourished him with honey from the rock and oil from the flinty crag. So when we read that the spirit was hovering over these waters, we are reading about an insanely intimate act of God. It's it's not like he's just like this fog that kind of rolls over the earth. It is the spirit of God himself spreading himself over the waters just like a mother bird would spread her wings over her babies, beat her wings to kind of encourage them to fly. Friar George Montague explains it this way. Unlike the Babylonian myth of creation in which the chaos is an enemy to the conquered, this formless mess is to be loved and fostered into being. One of the earliest Jewish commentaries on this text, dating from New Testament times, interpreted it this way. A spirit of love before the Lord was blowing, hovering over the face of the waters. This holy wind is not part of the chaos. It is God's motherly love conveying the promise of life, order, and beauty to what was of itself a mess. Because God's spirit was hovering over it, chaos became promise And so we recognize the relevance of this image for our own lives. At time, we feel like our lives are a mess. There is no light, and we're floating about like a cork lost at sea. We're trying to fight it to no avail. We're trying to flee, but there's no exit. What do we do? We fall on our knees and ask the Holy Spirit to hover over our mess, to embrace it lovingly and prepare it for the light of God's word. If any of our chaotic depths surface, we then turn them over to the Lord. What this tells me is that God is not just floating above, disconnected, as we experience some of the most difficult times of our lives. You know, we go through these times, we're in a tailspin, we're being sucked into this black hole because of grief or rejection or loss or addiction. God is intimately and personally involved in our chaos, In fact, I would go so far as to say that he is especially drawn to us in our times of chaos. Um, Four years ago, I went through one of the most frightening seasons of my life, and I had what I feel now to have been a nervous breakdown, (laughs) is the way to explain it. So... um, we had, so in, November, in September, I had little baby Ollie, and in November, we bought a house, and in January, my husband lost his job. And in the midst of that, uh, I had developed what went diagnosed for like a year and a half. I had developed a con- this condition where every single thing that I would eat would put me in so much pain I'd be like laying on the bathroom floor throwing up and um, this went on for a year and a half. Probably one of the things that I also was experiencing was a bout of postpartum depression that went untreated and I didn't know. Um, I developed food fear. Has anybody heard of that? Food fear is what happens when you're afraid to eat because you're not sure what's going to make you sick. So in about a month, I lost 15 pounds. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep, um, and I was on top of this. I was a campus pastor of a church of 700. I don't know what I was doing. And so, I it was a regular day, and I was making uh, Alister, who then was three, um, some breakfast lunch and I was making his food and Alistair's just acting like a regular toddler so he's pulling on my shirt and he's yelling mama mama and he's hungry and he's starving and he's just like right on on me and then there's Ollie in the corner in a bouncer and he's screaming because he's tired and he's hungry and he wants to go to bed and my poor husband just walks in the room and he did not see this coming but he came in and he said what is going on and I felt like the whole world just stopped and I screamed like I have never screamed in my life and never will have again but I screamed at him I screamed at my kids I fell on the floor I just was like I went into this tailspin where i I just was like screaming about how like you can't I can't control anything. I can't control our finances. I can't control your job. We have no medical insurance right now. Can't control my kids. We don't know if we're going to lose our house. I can't even control what I can eat. I don't even know what I can eat. And so in this moment it was like I got sucked into this black hole of like darkness and it lasted for a while. Now, side note, during this period of time, I also was teaching a Bible college, and Nadia Suzelis came into my office, and uh, she came into my office, and I think it was like, well, it must have been towards the end of that semester, and she came into my office, and you know, she's overwhelmed. You're in full-time ministry school. You're trying to hold down a job. You know, she's, it was requiring a lot from her. And so she comes in and she sincerely asks me, Vanessa, how do you do it? How do you have kids and a house and a husband? How are you a campus pastor of this church? How are you teaching Bible college? How are you preaching on the weekends? Like, how do you do it all? And do you remember what my answer was to you, Nadia? (laughs) That's okay, good, because I do. My answer to Nadia was, Nadia, you just do it. You just do it. If I don't feed my kids, my kids don't eat. If I don't wake up in the morning and put clothes on them, they don't get clothes on their bodies. You just do it. And I am offering you an apology because that is one, not true, and two, that is not what you needed to hear in that moment. What she needed to hear was, Nadia, I am hanging on by a very thin string, and the only reason that I survived that moment, which I did, and I survived that season, thank God, but the only reason that I survived that moment was because God was hovering over me, because otherwise, here I am in the middle of the floor legitimately thinking that I'm losing my mind. Luke 178 says, "Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. If you are going through chaos, please know that God is very, 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 very close, and He has spread out over you in concern, in affection, in protection and in very, very loving attention. Lastly, he, he can make sense of our mess. I want you guys to imagine, close your eyes if you need to. You don't have to. Imagine, if you will, a very, very old, old, old house. It's abandoned. You're walking up the sidewalk where the weeds have taken over in between the cracks. And you walk up a couple stairs onto this, like, really dingy, sun-bleached porch. And you walk into the house, and immediately you cover your face because of all of the dust and the dirt and the years of... So it's dark, and blinds are over all of the windows, and this house hasn't seen light in what seems like a century. And over to your right, you catch a mouse scurry away into the corner... And you fumble your way through the house and up the stairs, and you see paint is peeling off of the walls. It feels like you could fall right through the floor at any point. And there's sheets on all of the furniture. Nothing has been touched or used for years. It's lonely. It's eerie. It's quiet. It's dark. It's sad. This house has seen a lot of loved ones come and go but never stay. A lot of people promised to fill it up, but they always seem to fall short. N- now, imagine that a man walks into that house and opens the blinds. And there's light shining in places that haven't seen light in decades. And the man opens another blind and you see the roaches kind of scurry away into the dark places and you and he opens another blind and in a whoosh you see decades of this dust lift up into the air. And then the man unlocks the windows and he opens them up, and you feel the fresh breeze blow through the room, and already you can feel that the air is being purified and breathable again. And then over the next weeks and months, the man dusts off every surface, sweeps up every bit of debris. He gets down on his hands and knees and he scrubs those dirty floors and he polishes the details and all of the furniture furniture, and he rearranges the room and he adds books to the bookshelves and he puts pictures up on the wall and he puts a rug on the floor and he does this to every single room until before you know it, this old abandoned house is now a place where someone can live. Without Jesus... Our lives are like this house. They're formless, they're void, they're destructive, chaotic, confusing. Our lives without him are just really dark. And our lives are like this house in need of this carpenter to come and renovate. And this house is groaning for someone to come and clean it up, to make it new, to make it useful and beautiful again. This house is begging for somebody to come and to actually stay, even though it would be really, really, really hard work for somebody to stay. Well, here's the good news Jesus is not afraid of hard work, He's not intimidated by your baggage, He's not intimidated by your issues. He will stay awake with you through the sleepless nights. He will walk alongside you during those really, really hard conversations. He's not going anywhere. And this is why he came, you guys. He came so that God's people would have a tangible hand to hold. He came so that we would understand just how worth it you all are that he would send this light, this beacon of light, into a dark and dying world. He's the light. Listen to the poetry that the message brings. First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. God spoke light, and light appeared. God saw that it was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening. It was morning. Day one. One word, boom, and it all seems to make sense. He is the great carpenter. He's coming in to renovate the rooms in our hearts one by one. He cleans them up one by one. He shines a light into those dark places of our hearts, and he makes sense of the chaos. Listen, it's okay to admit that you're not okay. It's okay to become unraveled. And that was a word that I used a lot going through that season of my life. I feel like I'm unraveled. A few months ago, um, I work at a Christian nonprofit that that ministers to women who are in a very, very, very vulnerable place. And in June, this, like, bomb hit, like, uh, just a sp- real big spiritual attack. And after that, it was like a series of one thing after another. It was like, man, how many times are we going to get hit? And um, I I remembered... My executive director came into my office and I said, "Listen, I, I just feel like everything is unraveling." Like, and it was a bad moment for me, but it was—it was a disaster. And so, um, well, then we had this funny little conversation about, like, you know what? God needs to—I don't know what is the word "ravel." Is "ravel" a word? Like, is that a? Can you ravel something? We're not really. So we got on the computer and we started like typing away, like, what is "ravel," and then and then we looked at the definition of "unravel." Listen to this, you guys. To unravel means to disengage or separate the threads of, to disentangle, to resolve the intricacy, complexity, or obscurity of, to clear up, to unravel a mystery. Do we have anybody in here who knits or crochets? Anybody? Okay, listen. All right. So what happens, Julia, when when you're crocheting or you're knitting and you do a couple rows and then you look back like three or four rows later and you notice that you have like a flaw, like you made a mistake? What do you do? you get really angry, <laughs> and then you tear that sucker up, don't you? You unravel it. You go back. You unravel it. Listen, unraveling is a glorious thing. It means that God is divinely pulling things apart so that he can put them back together the right way. So now, when you know what hits the fan, we say, yeah. Yes, it's unraveling, you know what I mean? Because we know that God is doing something, He's disentangling, He's going back, and He's bringing redemption to the parts of our lives that got super duper messed up. Sometimes through no fault of your own, He goes back and He redeems and He makes it right again. He's resolving, He's solving the mystery of our chaos before our very eyes. If you are unraveling, praise God. Because he is working in your midst. Now, as you are going through it, he is working on your behalf. And so as we become unraveled, in God's arms, there he is, making sense, straightening up, laying out, piecing together, putting back together, restitching all of the parts of our lives that have fallen apart. And you say, why would he... Why would he go through these lengths? Why would he even have time for this? Because as Friar Montague stated earlier, because this formless mess is to be loved and fostered into being. This this formless mess is to be loved and to be fostered into being. And to my fellow formless messes, you are to be loved and to be fostered into being. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you make something out of nothing. That when we hand you our big ball of yarn that has been bunched up and tangled up and knotted up we hand it to you with arms outstretched and there you are disentangling and laying out and straightening out all the things that have made our lives a mess and so father I thank you for every person in this room who may be going through a time of unraveling which might only be made worse by the holidays my prayer is that they would look to the light that is Jesus and to see his hand at work I thank you for your hovering I thank you for your brooding over I thank you for your the wind of your spirit constantly ever watchful of your children Father you're good you're so good And I thank you that even when we feel like the only person on the planet who is going through what we're going through, that you treat us like we are the only person who is going through what we're going through. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your love. We bless you, Lord.